Today's episode of Little Bit Leave It is brought to you by Moving and Grooving with Jeff McIntyre, a very cool new moving company serving northern and central New Jersey, and not at all a ploy for Jeff to make friends. Previously on Little Bit Leave It. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Little Bit Leave It, the podcast where we talk Love Island, UK in the USA. My name is Ben, and with me, as usual, it's my podcasting partner and partner in life, Becca. Greetings and salutations, pigs and spiders. Hope everybody's doing well today. We are currently in the middle of a downpour in New York City, but we have the house to ourselves. The little one is out. The big one is out. And we are getting freaky down here in the recording studio. Oh, yeah. And we are going to be talking about Love Island UK Season 6, Episode 27. So if that is not what you want to hear about, try another episode of the podcast. Yeah, this episode of the show was a little disappointing. There was a mature audience warning and I didn't see anything mature. Maybe Jamie being 28. But so much happens in this episode. It is chock full of action. We've got a deep dive into Shoreditch that we promised we would deliver a few episodes ago. We haven't done a deep dive in a couple of episodes. We've been doing the interview segments. So we got that. And of course, we will talk about those outfits and finish up by ranking some couples. Let's get into it. This one starts where we left off. We have to watch Nas and Eva get dumped again. Yeah, this is just cruel, I felt like. I did not need to see this again. I did not. Mike looks truly broken. Callum doesn't look like he's doing so well either. Mike pulled on my heartstrings there. I felt bad for him. Yeah, everyone is kind of upset about this, except maybe Demi. She is not totally upset. Well, no, everyone's upset, but like some people are more stoic about it. This is the second time, maybe even the third time this season, we've had some public votes that I'm not so sure the producers are accurately reporting. We're actually going to talk about that in a spoils of love that is coming up for our Patreon subscribers. So you'd have to go to patreon.com slash little bit, leave it to check that out. In any case, Nas takes Demi for a goodbye chat. Yeah, they really cement the drama-free ending to their little fling. Um, he genuinely seems to care about her. She's over being mad. They have a nice hug. He tells her to smash it. Good yeah. shit. I thought that was a really nice little bow that they tied on their friendship. I enjoyed that little bit. So at least Nas and Eva get a fitting goodbye. Everybody comes to the door. They get one of their big, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cheers, and Nas and Eva go out like heroes. Mad salute. Mad salute indeed. There's a somber mood in the house, of course. Everybody's kind of disappearing into their own corners, reflecting on what's just happened. Demi and Luke M are kind of pumped. This is a new day for them. Yeah, and we get a whole series of couples talking to each other about how their relationships are growing. Jess and Ched look more comfortable with each other. They've got some cute banter over the lip gloss. There's some smooching. Yeah, he even says that he would leave the villa if she left at this point. I don't know who was more surprised by that, her or me. Well, I'll tell you this. At this point in the season, is anybody else even coming in the villa, right? Yes, We're this episode. Well... 
get, of course, Jamie, when we will get to that, everybody knows about that. But after Jamie, are we even going to have anybody else? We're already in the fifth week, right? This is a six week season. So we're hitting the home stretch. Tick tock on the clock, but the party don't stop. Is that Kesha? Yeah, good catch. Finn and Callum have a little chat. Callum is head over heels for Molly. He reflects on his past relationships never going well for him and is hopeful for the future. Natalia and Luke M. Now, this is a conversation worth getting into. This took a tone I was surprised by. I'm interested to hear your take on this conversation. Well, it seems like a true reconciliation. She seems genuinely happy for him to pursue things with Demi. He tells her that he doesn't hate her. They decide that they can be friends while they're both in the villa. There doesn't seem to be any bad vibes. There doesn't seem to be a passive aggressive meaning behind their words. I read this totally differently than you did, I think. I'm an optimist. I saw this as Natalia wanting to make herself feel better. At the beginning of the conversation, she tries to make it seem like the decision for them to split up was Luke's or maybe that it wasn't as final as it really was when she says, oh, I'm glad that somebody can give you what I couldn't give you. And he says, well, you just weren't even interested in me. What are you talking about what you couldn't give me? And she says, yeah, that. And even before that, she's talking about how technically they're still a couple in the game or they're still coupled up. I was just really confused, honestly. I really felt that she was trying to gaslight him at the first part of the conversation. And then later she's trying to make him feel bad for being a nice person. I was confused. I thought this was Natalia doing this conversation for her own sake, trying to get some closure for herself, maybe. If I were Luke M, I'd be like, okay, uh uh-huh, okay, exactly what he did. That's what he did do. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of humor her, let her go. But that was not a conversation for him. That was for her. So we get to the dressing rooms. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, she does tease him about being too nice. But I don't know. I just read this like Natalia was finally dropping her guard a little bit and allowing herself to be flawed. She says he's too nice. But I get where she's coming from. It's not a compliment, but it's hard when somebody is wonderful and you're not into them. You're not interested in them, so their niceness rubs you the wrong way. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong that they did. I have felt this feeling. You know, and she says, you and Demi both kill them with kindness. It was funny. He says, that's the best way in it. And she makes that Jennifer Lawrence meme, okay, face. Maybe I'm just a bad person. And she kind of is. But yeah, I think she is a bad person, actually. I feel empathy for her. I think she's used to bad guys and she's not into the kind of guy that Luke M is and she handled it really badly. I hope that she takes this opportunity to start dating better guys and to become a better person. Someone usually does not become a manipulator unless they have experienced manipulation themselves, right? You know, I can see having some empathy for her. But poor Luke M, poor Luke M keeps getting kicked when he's down he's still sleeping on the sofa although he does get a cute flirty but chaste hug from Demi yeah that is nice you know that guy's dressing room did feel pretty flat and quiet without Nas and also Jordan by the way Jordan wasn't on the show for that long I'm not a huge Jordan fan or anything but in terms of people who were loud had a lot of personality those two guys that was a lot of the action yeah and Nas and Jordan were cool together too so yeah they were I think this is a huge loss for the show we lost some of the most dynamic and interesting people in the villa over the course of this last dumping 
So after a night of mostly sleeping, nothing mature happening, unless you want to count Shawnice and Luke T gazing meaningfully in each other's eyes. Well, we do get a little bit of Callum and Molly snogging. There's not snogging. There's no tongue. All right, kissing at least, right? That's not mature. You can do that in a Disney movie. Okay, yeah, sure. There's more tongue in a Disney movie. Again, a sad mood, still over the villa. Callum mentions that he misses Nas, and Shauna is quickly annoyed by Callum's presence. Yes. She's right. We need new boys. We need to get her away from Callum. But not all is negative. Luke M and Luke T are hatching another scheme. Yeah, they make breakfast for the girls, but actually it's really all Luke M. At least Luke T gives Luke M all the credit. It's a decent looking breakfast. It's lush, as Shawnee says. Unlike Rebecca and Wallace, Luke M asks Demi if she likes avocado. Although to be fair, the breakfast is already made. And Demi likes avocado. Demi also likes to cook. Demi likes to bake. Oh, okay. She wrote to Mary Berry from the Great British Bake Off when she was 15 and got a signed picture of her. I just think the little pieces of Demi's personality that we see are so endearing. You can tell that these are all people who actually like each other genuinely. The Lukes, Shawnice, Demi. When they sit down for breakfast, they start talking, having multiple conversations, having two conversations going on at once, just like one would do with another couple when you first see them. Yeah, it felt very easy. Yeah, and then of course the producers very quickly remind them, I'm sure, hey, you guys, we can't hear either of your conversations when you're both talking over each other. The other thing I think is really funny in this scene is how we get a cut to the confessional of Shawnice calling her beau Luke T instead of Luke. She says, oh, I just like Luke T so much. She's just hilarious to me. Well, they're all together all the time. So I guess she still has to differentiate. In the confessional, she's not with either of them. And she could clearly just say Luke that she still calls him Luke T. I found very funny and kind of charming in a weird way. All right. Well, speaking of funny and charming in a weird way, Shauna's got a text. Yep, Jamie wants to take Shauna on a date. Hashtag have fun, hon. Callum warns that he better not be a scaffolder. There's Callum looking out for Shauna. He knows. Everybody is so happy that Shauna gets to go on a date. Especially Callum and Molly. Especially Callum and Molly. Now this date is a wine tasting date. Very sophisticated. With the dollar store Chris Hughes. Yes, with discount Chris Hughes. Which is not fair because Jamie is actually pretty quality for a late edition. Yeah. He's not ugly and he's not boring. And I feel like those are the hallmarks of most of the late editions. The other Jamie, notwithstanding, Jamie Jewett, also quality guy. Yeah, this is clearly their Jamie Jewett version 4.0. I don't know why it's 4.0. Well, 2.0 was Paul. 3.0 was Greg. Paul was not so much an improvement on Jamie. It was definitely like a downgrade. Cool Paul was a sarcastic name, I thought. Yeah, Cool Paul was a sarcastic name, exactly. But then Greg in season five. Yeah, Greg was good. He's quality, right? Yeah, Greg was quality. He's almost like a discount Greg, if you want to think about it. No, he looks like Chris Hughes. I was just thinking about all the trash they got at the end of season one. Yeah, the only Ben to ever be in Love Island was that Joker at the end of season one. Back to reality. Back to reality TV. Well, back to this episode, back to this season. Jamie's 28, which is great. He is a food safety recruitment consultant. I don't know what that means. It sounds like he's a headhunter in the food safety industry. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. So I'm not that stupid. He was a plasterer and tiler by trade. Shauna is very relaxed around him. I think it's really nice to see her around a man her own age, both physically and mentally. They talk football. And of course, by football, I mean soccer. She seems to like that he's mature and responsible. So I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, he's looking for a commitment. He doesn't enjoy being single. You know what else he doesn't enjoy is how Callum treated her. He says that Callum should have behaved more like Nas, who was very respectful, and he's going to have words with Callum when he gets into the house, which I think is hilarious because, bro, calm the fuck down. Yeah. One thing that made me really like Jamie is that he recognizes that Shauna was too smart for Callum, and he reminds her of that. It's hard when you're a smart woman who is attracted to dumb hotties. Don't ask me how I know that. Hey, sometimes it's hard being a dumb hottie married to a smart woman. Don't ask me how I know that. I wasn't talking about you. I know you weren't (laughs) talking about me. I'm a dumb ugly. Neither of them really know how to properly taste wine, but Shauna has probably done it a couple of times or at least seen it a couple of times and she sort of gets it partially right. But he's better at describing the wine. He's like, ooh, fruity, pungent. I'm sorry. I don't want my wine to be pungent. That does not sound like a positive descriptor (laughs) for wine. The only word she said was potent. Potent. Hey, I don't mind my wine being potent. Pungent. Yeah, not so much. The other thing I thought that was funny about this date is that Jamie says the reason that he wants a girlfriend is because his life is so boring. I don't understand why you would say that. That's not really a very strong selling point. That's basically saying, hey, come be bored with me. Or even worse, hey, come entertain me. I don't know. Do people enter relationships instead of developing hobbies? That's an excellent question. I think a lot of people never learn to be alone and have fun. I remember going to the movies for the first time by myself. It was weird, but I did it. And going to museums by myself and going to restaurants by myself. I think it's a skill you have to learn. It's always shown as lonely and sad. And we're not taught to take joy in ourselves and our alone time until we have kids. And then we're like, oh my God, I would kill you for 10 minutes of alone time. I think that's actually a great reason for people who are in their 20s to move to cities like New York, where we both lived in our 20s, and we still live, because it's much more normal in big cities or more common for single people to do things by themselves than it is in places that are not big cities. Actually, I learned how to do it in Paris, but, you know, I'll take my pretension back to my corner now. Yeah, and Paris is a... Big city. There you go. Boku culture. Go to Paris. As soon as you can travel, go to Paris. Yeah, or come to New York. No, don't come to New York. It still smells like piss. Well, it smells like piss in Paris, too, I'm sure. Email us if you come to New York. Seriously. Anywhere you go worth going will smell like piss. That's not true. What big city have you been to that doesn't smell like piss? Okay, so let's move on to our second date here. Speaking of piss. Speaking of piss, let's move on to our second date. Demi gets a date and Luke M is... Happy for her? Uh, I don't know. No, Mike tries to fix it. No, you're not happy, damn it. Luke, this is what we're trying to change. Mike being an A1 friend. Yeah, Mike has just redeemed himself so much since Casa Amor and Priscilla. Priscilla has just brought out the good side of Mike, right? I think Mike brought out the good side of Mike. Yeah, I know. I agree. And Priscilla encourages it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. 
I love how this date starts with Jamie copying what Shauna did just to impress Demi. That was really funny. So I didn't love Jamie as much in this date. I thought he came on way too strong. He jokes about taking his shirt off and jokes about her ripping it off with her teeth. I don't know. He rubbed me the wrong way with her. He likes that she's small. Like, come on, dude. Gross. Yeah. It's interesting because on the one hand, you've got this guy who is ostensibly more mature. Than what? Than the other guys in the villa, I guess. Yeah. I mean, ostensibly, right? That's the Age idea. Age-wise, yes. Age-wise. Also, in the Shauna date, he did make that what I think was not a funny joke, but Shauna thought was the pinnacle of humor. No, she didn't. She didn't think it was the pinnacle of humor. She says later she's just not used to guys being able to banter with her, and she was just happy he was able to banter with her at all. I'm exaggerating. Okay, but, well. Know, she goes and tells all the girls about the joke that he made about filling all of her holes. I mean, he was pretty crude there, and it's this weird juxtaposition, but I guess that's what you get when you get a guy who was a plaster and Tyler and now is a recruitment consultant. If you like a guy, a crude joke can be funny. Oh, of course. Which is why both of the girls thought, oh, ha 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 ha, I'm not into him. He doesn't do it for me. Anyway, while Demi's on her date, Luke M is pranging yet again. She does look great on this date and he wishes that she doesn't. Yep. And he's just hoping that Jamie is not good looking. So around this time, Shauna returns. She debriefs to all the girls. Shawnee says it's good to see her smile, which made me happy. Another A1 friendship moment. Yeah, and she also tells the girls that he may have a word with Callum, and that is quickly relayed to Callum by Natalia. That shit stirrer, Natalia. Ooh, Natalia. So then Shawnee's trying to be helpful. She tells Luke M and Luke T the information that Shauna has brought to her about Jamie's piercing blue eyes and what he does and how old he is. That doesn't help Luke M at all. This is not making Luke M feel any better. The only thing that's in Luke M's favor is potentially his age, just because Demi is only 21. So as Shawnee is debriefing the Lukes on Jamie, who enters the villa but Jamie himself with Demi on his arm. Yet another paper cut to Luke M's little heart. When Demi and Jamie walk back in and they're wearing regular clothes and then you see them juxtaposed against the rest of the cast who are all in bathing suits and it's an overcast day. It is not a bathing suit day and we've seen these islanders get cold over and over again this season. I had some sympathy for the cast here. They all wanted to be fully clothed, I think, on this day. I mean, fully clothed for Demi's dress is a bit of a stretch. Not that I'm knocking it by any means, but it was still a halter top mini dress. Sure. I guess what I mean, not necessarily fully covered, but just wearing clothes and not a bathing suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew what you meant. I just wanted to give me crap. Yeah. So as is tradition, when people return from a date, the guys go with the guys and the girls go with the girls. Demi admits to the girls that she is still more attracted to Luke M, but that she is going to get to know Jamie. Jamie, meanwhile, is having a grand time with the guys. Yeah, he is making jokes. He's laughing at jokes. And he tells the guys that he's here for Shauna and Natalia and he's not going to be stepping on any toes. I don't know whether to believe him. And Demi? 
Well, he, he backtracks on that a bit. He's a little contradictory when it comes to Demi. Well, Natalia gets offered up to him. He yeah. doesn't mention Natalia until Luke M does. But then later he comes back and says, oh yeah, Natalia and Shauna, that's who I really am interested in. So we'll see. Well, he knows that Demi and Luke M have kissed. So why would he be super into Demi? Yeah, we'll see. So yeah, he bans with Callum about dating Molly. Molly, meanwhile, she seems to have a little crush on Jamie. They're getting ready. This is the second time she's mentioned his eyes. So Callum might have to worry a little bit because Callum is the one who seems the most worried. And Molly is the one who's made the most comments. Uh Uh-oh, Callum. But Callum has other things to worry about because now there's a game. Yes, it is a game where you pump up a balloon with your butt. And I don't remember which team actually wins, but I think we all can agree that the winner of this game is Mike. Yeah, Mike definitely put on a show. And the loser of this game is every man who has no idea about sex. Interesting just to see how little all of them knew. That's true. But the guys were shocked at how many women have faked orgasms. Which, by the way, struck me as low, 55%. Yeah, the rest of them won't admit to it. I mean, 100% of the women that I've slept with have faked their orgasms. So I don't know where those numbers are coming from. For all these girls to be faking orgasms, come on, guys, you're letting the team down. That was Finn. None of them have any idea how long a woman's orgasm lasts. Yeah, including the women. When the answer is revealed, the women are the ones who are the most shocked. Well, if you had to fake it, of course you don't know how long it lasts. The other thing I thought was interesting is that as soon as they talked about women over 80 having sex, all the girls were like, ew, gross. Bitches, please, you will be lucky to live to age 80 and you will be even luckier to still be getting some after age 80. Although Mike, smart man that he is, is like, all right, old man Mike is going to get some. Exactly. So ladies, line up. Old man Mike is ready for you. Old man Mike sounded like he was ready to hit the over 80 crowd fairly soon. I'm sorry, officer. I was stealing the sweet and lows. Oh, this silverware? I don't know where that came from. Well, ma'am, we're going to have to find some way to punish you. Oh, maybe the mature label was for the game and all the sex questions? I guess. Weak! Yeah, sex education. You know, the fact that they labeled sex education with the mature content warning is probably related to the fact that none of the islanders know anything about sex. Just saying. You're probably right. Anyway, let's talk about one more twisted conversation here. Luke M and Demi, one more time. You see it one way and I see it another. So please give us your take. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Another conversation that we interpret differently. So here's what I liked about the conversation. They are both really open and honest with each other. Demi says, hey, look, I am going to get to know this other guy and I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. And Luke says, yeah, it does hurt my feelings. And, you know, I've been on the short end of two triangles already and I really don't want that to happen again. And he lets her know that he's nervous. So I thought up until that point, that was a really, really good conversation. Neither of them even acknowledged the fact that Demi just had it so much worse. That Demi was not only on the losing end of a triangle, but then she got dumped at the Casa Amori coupling. I mean, that's fucked up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not in any way minimizing what Demi has gone through. And I don't think Luke is either. That's why he doesn't say, look, if you're going to go pursue him, I'm out. He doesn't say that to his credit, I think. Yeah. I also think that she should have been a little bit more upfront with saying, you know, I closed myself off to you really fast because I was into Nas and I am going to do myself this favor of making sure that I am being fair to myself. 
So I don't know. I, I think we all know how it ends. The ending ruined the whole thing. Yeah. Then, then she goes and snogs his face off. Right. And she's clearly a little confused. And what's so interesting is then they both relay this conversation to their friends. Well, wait, wait, wait. First, he tells her straight out, you're giving me mixed signals here. Well, yeah, she is. Yes. But the fact that he says it flat out should be acknowledged. Yeah. And again, more honesty. Go, Luke. Go, Luke. So let's talk about Demi and Jess first, because Demi knows she messed up. Demi knows she messed up. But Jess doesn't really think so. Well, I think Jess didn't want to tell her that she messed up because Demi already knows that she messed up. Possibly. Also, Jess, as I have started to see, maybe is not as emotionally intelligent as I thought on the first watch and even through the first couple of weeks of this rewatch. I think our bar is so low yeah. that anytime someone is able to step over it without tripping, we're like, oh, this person's a genius. Yeah. Jess oftentimes has not been very nice to people. Well, I don't think she was mean. She just said, I hope you and Luke Emma are right for each other. But if you're being called to talk to Jamie, obviously there's a reason and go talk to him. It wasn't terrible advice. It wasn't great advice. I'm not sure it was good advice or even advice at all. But she says, oh, you did nothing wrong. I don't know if she really did anything that wrong. But Shaunice certainly thinks that Demi maybe is doing something wrong. Oh, Shaunice is not happy. Shaunice does not understand why Demi would say those things to him and then kiss him. Yeah, she says she's confused, but she says it in a way that she's really saying, I'm pissed. Well, especially because Luke wouldn't go after another girl right now. And Luke even says it himself. Yeah. And Luke T is also pretty annoyed about this situation. And hey, Shaunice and Luke T worked really hard to set them up. So So Shaunice also has a personal stake in this game. Oh, yeah, totally. So it's not just about Luke. It's about her. Well, like anything else good in Love Island, we get to mix the ego and uh, the super ego, right? The id. The show is so id. Oh, yeah. I guess it's like the ego, the id, and the super ego are all kind of battling it out just like... Life. Just like life. Love Island. A metaphor for life. Now that we've reached this pinnacle of philosophy, I'm not really sure where else there is to go. Next time, we will get to see the Twitter game. Yeah, the social media game. I love it. Which is going to cause tears, fears, and cheers. Yeah, the producers are definitely going to screw with these people again. And we will discuss that all on the next episode of Little Bit Leave It. For now, please enjoy a quick word from our sponsor. Everyone hates moving. All that packing, all that unpacking, it's just so much work. And the worst thing of all, the moving truck companies are all so unhip. It doesn't matter if you're U-hauling it or you've hired the highest end movers this side of Palm Springs. Have you ever seen a moving truck with a kicking sound system? I didn't think so. All that is about to change, my friend. That's right, the legendary Jeff McIntyre, the apex predator of the northern New Jersey middle school band ecosystem, has feasted on all the epaulet-wearing prey he can handle and has moved on to greener pastures. No. That is definitely not what I meant to say. Let me try that again. That's right. The legendary Jeff McIntyre 
the towering giant of the Northern New Jersey Middle School Band Kingdom has climbed down his beanstalk. Wait, that's, that's not it. One more time. That's right! The legendary Jeff McIntyre, the Empire State Building in the Northern New Jersey Middle School Band Skyline has... You know, I don't even know where I was going with that, that one. Anyway. Jeff McIntyre is no longer teaching middle school band and has started his own moving company. Jeff slapped a new coat of paint on the box truck sold his couch on Craigslist, and Get bought a new used vendor Jeff. amp with the proceeds. Get moving and grooving with Jeff. Simply pack up all your things, call up Jeff, and he will be there with his box truck in a jiffy. You'll know he's arrived when you hear the sweet sounds of his Casio synthesizer playing a mix of nursery rhymes and jazz standards through the aforementioned Fender Amp. And don't worry, the tunes won't end until you fill the truck with your friends. Jeff will drive your stuff to your new place and play a completely different set of songs on his Casio while you and your friends unload the truck. I hope you have left enough room for your friends to fit in the back of the box truck, or you'll need to make sure your friends you have a car to get to your new place to help you. Jeff. And of course, sit you the, can sit up front Jeff? in the cab Please? with Jeff. Please sit in the in the cab with Jeff. Please. So, call Jeff at 201-555-3434 or reserve your box truck and private concert at www.movingandgroovingwithjeff-newjersey.net Moving Grooving with Jeff! Don't just move, groove! With Jeff! Thank you for listening to Little Bit Leave It. You can, of course, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And you can also support us on Patreon if you really, really like the podcast. We've got some cool stuff starting at just $2 per month. Patreon.com slash Little Bit Leave It. Today, we are going to learn about Shoreditch one of London's most interesting neighborhoods, well-known for restaurants, culture, and nightlife. Have you ever been to Shoreditch, Beck? Well, my initial instinct was to say no, but now I'm wondering if I have. Maybe I have. Not to my knowledge, but that doesn't mean anything. So I have been to London once. It was a long, long time ago, long before the days of Yelp, so... You'd have to rely on people you knew to tell you where to go or buy a Lonely Planet or a Moon travel guide. Uh, I went to London with some friends from college and one of them had spent a bunch of time there because his grandparents lived there. We actually crashed at his grandparents' apartment our first night in London where his grandfather, who I understand was the most celebrated Spanish translator of Shakespeare at the time, uh, his grandfather was on his deathbed. Oh, well, that's an interesting story that has completely nothing to do with any of this. Yeah, that's, I guess, a story for another time. Anyway, this particular friend didn't know about Shoreditch, but 
This was long enough ago that he should probably get a pass. So it wasn't cool yet? Is that what you're saying? Over the last few decades, Shoreditch has gone through extreme gentrification. So for my New Yorkers listening, consider Shoreditch the Williamsburg of London. And at the time we were in London, the first hipsters had just started moving into the old industrial spaces of Shoreditch to begin composing obnoxious electronic music and baking vegan muffins. But before we get into the gentrification and revitalization of Shoreditch, which the British call urban regeneration, by the way, let's review its amazing history. Like a lot of places that are currently part of London, Shoreditch was originally its own town, and it was a suburb of London. Well, why is this important? Because in 1574, London prohibited anyone from building a theater, so they could only be built in the suburbs. Why did they ban theaters? Moral panic! There were exactly zero theaters at the time anywhere in England, so it wasn't like how today you might not want a bar or a strip club to open down the block from you. There are enough strip clubs and bars around that you know what they are going to bring. People at the time didn't even really know what theaters were or what it would be like to live near one because, I'll say it again, there weren't any. The whole thing reeks of restrictive religiosity mixed with classism, where rich folks and priests insist that the masses are too easy to tempt into sin and depravity, and the theater would be an express bus to hell for these poor souls. It's ironic given that all of the evidence points to the rich folks and priests being more depraved than anyone, making this a classic case of projection. So when London outlawed theaters in 1574, an enterprising actor and tradesman named James Burbage got the idea to build a theater in Shoreditch, which he opened in 1576 and named simply The Theater. And who lived not too far away? Only a guy named William Shakespeare, who staged all of his early plays there, and at another theater in Shoreditch called The Curtain Theater. We're talking Romeo and Juliet, Henry V, Hamlet, the classics. In fact, Shakespeare loved the theater so much that when James Burbage's lease expired on the land in 1599, Shakespeare's theater company moved the entire building timber by timber to construct the Globe Theater in Southwark, which I am probably mispronouncing. Southwark? 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 Southwark, you think? Okay, well, whatever it is, Shoreditch and Southwark, 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 were the centers of English theater at the time, and Shoreditch was also a great place to find gamblers and prostitutes. So logically, the area became attractive to the French. Huguenot silk weavers moved there in the 17th century, and soon other textile manufacturers and traders located there too. Staten Island also got a big settlement of Huguenots, but I don't know if there was gambling and prostitution here. Oh, I'm sure we had our fair share of it, just like we do today. Anyway, all around Spitalfields Market is where this was happening. Which, Spitalfields Market, by the way, is one of the first public markets in London, and we will talk about it more a bit later. Industry begets industry, and in addition to textiles, Shoreditch became the center of English furniture manufacturing. 
You can learn about Shoreditch's furniture industry and even see some replicas and authentic pieces going back to the 18th century at the Museum of the Home, which is right in the neighborhood on Kingsland Road. The museum was actually just renamed in 2020. It was previously named after the slave trader who paid for the buildings when they were constructed in 1714 as poorhouses. This guy sucked, and his statue is unfortunately still above the door to the museum. Even after the museum asked the public what they should do, and the public told them to take it down. And by the way, this isn't even the original statue. It's a replica based on a photo, and it was cast in 1912. But a conservative politician and the culture secretary, this guy Oliver Dowden, he pressured the museum's board not to take the statue down, so it remains there today. Go look up Oliver Dowden and tell me if he doesn't have one of the most punchable faces you've ever seen. But just because Shoreditch grew to an industrial powerhouse doesn't mean it didn't retain its status as a center of culture and entertainment. Au contraire, mon frère! Shoreditch was second only to the West End for theater and live music in the 19th and in the 19th and early 20th centuries. So I just want to make a note here that theaters were allowed in London after King Charles II took the throne in 1660. And may I remind you all that King Charles II was the brother of King James II. And if you don't remember who he is, go back and listen to our episodes about the Jacobites. And also, Charles Dickens walked the streets of Shoreditch for inspiration. And it is also the home of Gainsborough Studios, where none other than Alfred Hitchcock got his start. But enough about stuff that happened before we were born. Let's skip ahead to today and talk about all the cool shit you're gonna do when you visit Shoreditch. We are going to be pulling from an article written by Carol Guttery in November 2020 for Wayfaring Views and Timeout.com. I will also note that we are recording this in June 2021, 15 months into the slow rolling apocalypse that will eventually consume us all. And in these crazy times, restaurants and bars are going out of business all over the place and new ones are popping up in their place. We are doing our best to provide you with up-to-date information, and we apologize if by the time you are attempting to use this as an actual tour guide, it proves useless. So, as Beck would say, I hope you haven't left yet because you need to book a hotel in Shoreditch. Our more well-heeled listeners should check out, or should I say check in, to the Boundary Hotel. You know it's expensive because it's a converted warehouse with only 12 rooms, and they're all themed to a specific design movement or designer, like Mies van der Rohe or The Shakers. To top it off, there's a great cafe on the ground floor and a rooftop bar for your nightcap, if you're into that sort of thing. That's a great band name, Mies van der Rohe and The Shakers. You're right, that's a fantastic band name. Anyway... So a bit further down the price scale are Citizen M and the Hoxton Hotel. Citizen M is a chic chain, and if you were curious, there is an Ace Hotel in Shoreditch, too. You can't have a hipster neighborhood without an ass hotel. I mean, an Ace Hotel. And the Hoxton is the exact same thing as, as those, basically. But the Hoxton features a lobby restaurant 
that calls itself an all-day Chicago grill. So, Beck, as you know, my dad grew up in Chicago. We visited there a bunch of times when my sister lived there. So what do you think would be on the menu at a place billing itself as an all-day Chicago grill. Uh, deep dish pizza, Chicago-style hot dogs. Uh, what are those? Those hot beef sandwiches that gave us... Italian beef sandwiches. That gave us yeah. heartburn, the heartburn beef sandwich. Yeah, this, that's... And beer. Yeah, beer. Um, there's also the other kind of bar pizza that they do in the south side of Chicago with the really thin crust that they cut into squares and the cheese goes all the way to the edge. So, yeah, Chicago is known for some foods, very famously known for... Some very specific foods. And none of those things are on the menu at this all-day Chicago grill. They don't even have pizza or any kind of sausage. Oh, I bet they have their own sausage fests. Oh, I'm sure they do. Hold on, you say, maybe it's a Chicago grill in the tradition of the city's famous gourmet dining scene, right? Because Chicago has that. Chicago has been home to some of the most daring molecular gastronomy and adventurous time-hopping menus the American culinary scene has ever witnessed. Might this all-day Chicago grill be a mind-blowing, near-psychedelic experience that one will never forget? Nope. Don't count on it. So, what do they have? Truffle mac and cheese. An avocado salad with butter lettuce. Burrata. For some reason, a pastrami Reuben, which is a New York sandwich. I think I figured out what's actually going on here. Do you remember River North? Is that where your friends lived in that douchey building and we went to the pool and it was just douchey? Yeah, it was actually not too different than, say, the Love Island Villa Pool if there were 80 people in the villa. And the pool was a quarter of the size. Yeah, exactly. So that is, uh, that's River North. And I think that the Hoxton Grill is the perfect distillation of every shitty overpriced River North faux bistro passing off par-baked Kaiser rolls as the real enchilada. Wait, enchiladas are Chicago food now? No, no, I was just using the... The expression. Okay. I'm talking about the kind of place where finance bros and fleece vests drink beers they don't like and flirt with women who don't like them, but love to watch the waiters make the fresh guacamole table side while they wait for their salad that has 12 kinds of lettuce, allegedly. Okay, but watching your guacamole be made table side is a pretty awesome experience and also delicious. Yeah, I love fresh guacamole, but... But I could do without the rest of it. Or the, the oohs and ahs at it. I mean, come on. It's just making guacamole. It is not that hard. Anyway, the Hoxton Hotel is a great mid-range option. And if you want something cheaper, head over to the Point A in Shoreditch. So let's talk about things to do. I already mentioned Spittlefield's Market, and that is as good a place as any to start. The market dates back to the 17th century, but its current incarnation as a place where tourists might actually want to shop is less than 20 years old. Originally, it was a food market, but today you'll find vintage clothes and young designers' fashions, and all kinds of stuff you'll be tempted to buy but regret trying to get into your luggage. But you can still grab a coffee, uh, or you can get a snack or even a meal from one of the food stalls or restaurants, and a lot of them are supposed to be very, very delicious. So make sure your visit to Shoreditch includes a Sunday because that's when the Brick Lane Street Markets are open as well as the Columbia Road Flower Market. Basically, if you're into public markets, 
Shoreditch is your jam. And I bet you can get a decent jam there too. I bet you can. But if you can't get to Shoreditch on a Sunday, you can still head over to Box Park, which is a two-story shipping container village with all kinds of street food and small retailers. On top of that, there are other food truck courts and food villages in Shoreditch, or at least there were before the pandemic. So now you've eaten and you need to walk off some of those calories. Bully for you, as the English would say, because it's time to spend an hour or two wandering Brick Lane and the surrounding alleys and streets to take in the street art. Shoreditch is known for its concentration of great urban street art, and there are guided tours if you really want an in-depth experience. You might also want to mosey on over to the Nomadic Community Gardens, which sounds like the only community garden I've ever really wanted to spend time in, if I'm honest. It's got sculptures, murals, a coffee shop, and live music. I am a bit worried, however, that it might be a little too hippie-ish, so... Be warned if you're allergic to patchouli. Wait, what What makes you think it's hippie-ish? When you look at the photos online, you, you can kind of tell. Okay, so we're, we're, we're going to do discrimination against hippies. Cool, we're doing that. How about I'll be discriminating against hippies and you can, you can admonish me for it. Okay, fair enough, as All you right. were. On the opposite end of the spectrum from the Museum of the Home, which we talked about earlier, there is a much cooler alternative called the Dennis Severs Museum. So this guy, Dennis Severs, designed and built a bunch of period rooms representing the years 1724 through 1914. But Dennis went above and beyond. There's no electricity or indoor plumbing. And the exhibition includes the sounds of period conversations, the smells of period foods, and the actual foods themselves on tables. So I'm guessing if there's no electricity, the conversations are not piped in. So does he have little like boom boxes in each room and he goes and he presses play on each cassette? Yeah, I'm not sure how that works. It actually might be museum staff doing it. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, that'd be really cool. Right? All right. I want to go to this. This sounds like the Tenement Museum. Oh, yeah. I definitely want to go to the Dennis Severs Museum. There's no word on whether you can actually taste the foods that they have on the table. So if you visit before we do... Let us know. I wouldn't be surprised if you can, because being immersed is the name of the game at the Dennis Severs Museum, where they limit the number of visitors, so it feels like you're there with just the people you came with. Like you traveled through a time portal into someone else's house, and they're just like in the next room, chilling. But if they didn't let you eat at the museum, and you're hungry again... You're in luck, because Shoreditch has an enormous number of fantastic restaurants at every price point. There's no way we can do justice to the food scene, and like I said earlier, the pandemic has upended the restaurant industry to such a degree that even if we did list a few now, well, they may not be there by the time you actually visit Shoreditch. All of that said, I'm going to mention a few anyway. One eccentric place to eat is the converted bike shed of an old school. It's called Rochelle Canteen. Eater.com says the food is worth the frustrating search for the place, which is very difficult for tourists to find, apparently. And the menu changes every single day. So if you go there and you don't like the food, you can always go back the next day. And if you're looking for great modern London food and you have the pounds to spare, 
go to Lyle's, which is one of Shoreditch's Michelin-starred restaurants and known for contemporary takes on classic English meats and vegetables. So, mutton and parsnips, I guess. And if Lyle's is too pricey or you can't go to good table, Leroy or St. John's Bread and Wine are good alternatives. And for a more casual and affordable take on traditional English food, you might want to check out Blacklock Shoreditch. Really reasonable prices for some delicious-sounding roasts. Honestly, that's where I would head, and I would save the extra cash I would have spent at Lyle's, and I'll spend it on beer. Because if you're going to Shoreditch and you partake in alcohol, you're probably going to want to check out its famous nightlife. And don't forget to pace yourself. I realize we had Jacob Waller on, and he talked about pubs in Bristol, but we never discussed how English nightlife is different from that in the U.S. On my trip to England, I couldn't believe that the pubs closed at 11. The clubs close at 1, at least. But even still, that's earlier than what I consider the standard U.S. bar closing time of 2 a.m. And in New York, obviously, it's 4 a.m. They'll just lock the doors and let you keep partying. True, true. So we also don't distinguish between pubs and bars in the same way the English do. So if you go to Time Out's website or some other websites and look at uh, London neighborhoods, you'll see that pubs and bars are often listed separately. So for the uninitiated, pubs almost always have real food. You can have a real dinner there, not just bar food. And they also focus more on beer, cider, and wine. Pubs evolved from the public house, meaning they all used to be a place for travelers to sleep or take a bath, in addition to being restaurants. Jacob described them as being your neighborhood living room. Bars, on the other hand, are more modern and centered around alcohol. I'm more of a pub guy, but I'll drink the occasional fancy cocktail. There are some great high-end cocktail bars in Shoreditch, whether that's Bar 3 or Cocktail Trading Company or Happiness Forgets. Again, please verify all of these are still in existence. Remember to drink plenty of water. And also, you're probably going to need a reservation at any of those places. Ooh, that's douchey. Yeah, and again, drink a lot of water, because if you don't, you're more likely to get a hangover. And a hangover in Shoreditch is not too different than a hangover in Williamsburg, meaning you'll be eating an overpriced brunch, nursing your third cafe au lait, and the sheer vacuousness of post-hipster, post-gentrification urban life will overwhelm you. You realize you're about to pay more for a shitty mimosa and two fried eggs sitting on top of avocado slices and an English muffin topped with some lukewarm, slightly suspicious egg-based French sauce than you paid for a week's groceries when you were 20. You'll see the meticulously groomed stubble, the sundresses meant to look like you sewed them yourself, but actually they cost $300 and they just don't fit right. And you'll hear the feigned laughter that's just a little too enthusiastic. And you'll start to hear the phrases you'd previously only heard in the villa. He made a right mug out of me. That bird had me straight fuming, mate. Or... Alex, get your hand off my leg. You'll begin to wonder what this was all for. Why did you come to England in the first place? Why didn't you go to Majorca? That's where the islanders are anyway. On second thought, don't go to Shoreditch. It's a silly place. (laughs) 
So we hope you enjoyed that little foray into Shoreditch, and that segment is useful on your upcoming vacation to the United Kingdom, or as they like to call it, your holiday. Wow, that was some uh, real uh, deep cut of English slang there. Well, it's my segue into Culture Shock. Yeah, I have one shocker for us today. Shock us away. It's not really shocking. So when Shauna and Jamie are talking about football, she's an Arsenal fan and Callum is a Man U fan. Right. They're talking about Callum, they're joking about soccer, and she says she should have known after what Robin Van Persie did to us. Well, I figured it was a soccer joke, but I had no idea what. So Robin Van Persie is a Dutch footballer who was a striker, regarded one of the best of his generation. He's the all-time top scorer for the Netherlands men's national team. Right now he's coaching because he's old. In 2004, he joined Arsenal and was super, super good. He won an award. He won the 2004-05 FA Cup. He scored a club record of 35 goals in 2011 and was club captain for the 2011-2012 season, then joined Man U in July 2012. And in his first season at Man U, he won the 2012-2013 Premier League and finished as the league's top scorer with 26 goals. So, fuck a Robin Van Persie. That's the story. I don't know. I don't have any issue with athletes going and getting compensated as much as possible for their labor, especially in professional sports like soccer, where you have billionaire owners who are really not good people in most cases. Oh, I don't really care either way. So that is our culture shock for this episode. And so that means it is time for the TNA report. The TNA report. I don't have a ton, but I have some. Some T and some A. First, we got to talk about Shauna's date dress. I hate it. It's an ugly color and I hate the fit. Shauna, not your best show. Her makeup looked great though. Yeah, her makeup did look great. Shauna's makeup is usually on point. However, Demi's date outfit which individually, I don't like the pieces. I don't like the dress and those earrings are trash. She did look really cute. So yay for Demi's date outfit. So let's talk about nighttime. Yes, the evening wear. We've got Shawnice looking street fabulous with the asymmetrically sleeved black crop top and the super ripped jeans. Her winged eyeliner looks fantastic. Here's one where Shawnice's big swings really pay off. Yeah, she looked great. You know who also looked great? Who? Priscilla. I was going to say that. Yeah, I love that long coat over the bikini top and jean shorts. Very cool look. With the long waves and the big earrings looking great. I did like Natalia's black and white polka dot set. It's like a co-ord. Yeah, well, I'm all about that co-ord. And Shauna's makeup, again, looks great. However, nighttime was not without its fashion problems. Okay, so I got one more positive. I actually have two more positives. Oh, okay. And I think you're going to mention them as negatives, though. So let's go. All right. Molly's denim romper. What was she working at a service station? Yeah, that was not great. I hated Shauna's beige sack of a dress. Yep. Shauna looked great from the neck up this whole episode and from the neck down was just a wreck. Jess in an ill-fitting, boring brown or olive dress. I did not think that one was notable. It was so boring it was notable. And Paige looking like Cher in the wrong way. No, no. Okay, here. This is the one I thought you were going to go negative on. 
She's the dancing queen from the ABBA song. I liked the pants. Yeah, she's the dancing queen. I thought the whole thing was cool. The top was trash. I liked the pants. Oh, no. She's a dancing queen, baby. I also really liked Luke T's outfit, man, with the Kangle hat. That's actually not a Kangle hat. It's a much cooler. The bucket hat? hat. Yeah, that bucket hat. The chain on the outside of the shirt. The orange tinted octagonal glasses. The vest. It was freaking cool, man. I wish I was Luke T. Do you? Sometimes. Shawnice does it for you? You like him tall and skinny? No, I actually, I'm very happy being myself. I had a real negative on this one. Ooh, that I missed? What is going on with Demi's dress with like the tassels all over the place? Well, I think it would have been better had she not had to wear a coat. We could have seen what it was actually supposed to look like. This is what happens when you let cowboy boot designers design a dress. She does like a spangly dress. If it were me, I would not go on national TV wearing a dress that looked like they came from my great aunt's formal dining room drapes. Well, alrighty then. You heard it here, folks. Demi, wearing Ben's great aunt's drapes. Molly, working at the service station next to the Tesco. And still really like Demi, by the way. One of my favorite cast members all season. So, sorry, Demi. All right. I think the only thing left to do... Oh, yeah. There's one thing we gotta do. Rank... Those... Couples! All right. I think we go top to bottom. I think we go bottom to top. Really? Yeah. Okay, you say so. I do say so. I always let you pick. Yeah, that's true. So bottom and top. I'm taking a stand. In the basement again. As usual. Natalia. Someone's got to be there. Number seven, it's Callum and Molly. Yeah, Callum is not looking thrilled about Jamie at all. Molly is looking a little too excited about Jamie. I'm ready for Callum and Jamie to have a showdown. Number six, Jess and Chad. They made some good progress on their relationship. Otherwise, not really a big episode. Jess did not handle the Demi thing particularly well. At number five, it's Shauna and Demi. Both girls getting new life, going on a good date. A solid showing from both women today. The awkward kiss with Luke M notwithstanding. And then at number four, it's the guy who went on the dates with them. The man of the hour. Jamie. Dollar Store Chris Hughes. Dollar Store Chris Hughes. Who one could even argue is less abhorrent than Chris Hughes was when he first got on the show. Oh, definitely. No question about that. Chris Hughes, when he is first on the show, is awful. At number three, Paige and Finn, who are barely in this episode, but they're still the bomb. The folks below them, we all had reasons for knocking them down under Paige and Finn, who are obviously podcast favorites. I don't care. I'm not going to apologize. At number two, and really carried by the guy and the couple this episode, it's Mike and Priscilla. Though Priscilla had that awesome outfit, so she is part of them being up there. Mike humped the foot pump to victory. Mike is the episode. Mike is the title of the episode. Yeah, and why are we not putting him at number one then? Because the drama of this episode is driven by our favorite threesome. Luke M, Luke T, and Shawnees. The three of them operate as a trio for the book of the episode. They're a great friendship. They're a little family. Seems only right to put them together at the top. And I think that Luke T would not mind sharing his metaphoric bed with Luke M. Yeah, whether we like it or not, this season is now the Shawnice and Luke's show. We like it. Yeah, I think we like it. But I'm really feeling the loss of some big personalities. 
But, yeah, and there's some small personalities I wouldn't mind losing. So there you go. Yeah, I agree with that. That about does it for us, folks. But we will catch you in about a week. Yeah, and by the way, shout out to our fans in Texas this week. Yeah. Houston, Dallas, we see you guys. And we raise you. And if you've ever been to Levy Park in Houston or Clyde Warren Park in Dallas, then you know my work. That's cool. Yeah. I've left no mark on Texas. Although I did almost leave my purse on an airplane when changing from uh, New York to Houston to New Orleans. There you go. But I did not. I ran back and got it and still made my flight to New Orleans. So Fantastic. That's my Texas story. I also changed plane in Texas trying to get to St. Louis and was abandoned there for five hours on a high school trip. Okay. None of my memories in Texas are outside an airport and they're all waiting or running or being stranded in an airport. That's also the airport where we had to get screening from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That one is a story for another podcast. Or you could hit us up on the socials and ask me about it. Oh, that's a good one. So I am on Twitter all the time at LBLI podcast. Beck is at LBLI Peng. Yeah, but message me if you want to hear me tell it. Yeah, she's the one who would actually be able to tell that I'm the idiot who smuggled the sandwich. We've got an Instagram account. We've got Facebook. And we've got an email address. Littlebitleaveitpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Especially if you live in Texas and have been to those parks. That would be pretty cool. All right. That'll do it. From Staten Island. To Love Island. Two years ago, she told me hoop earrings were her thing. And I wasn't allowed to wear them anymore.